Bibles with me today, open to Romans chapter 12. I want to look at verse 1 and 2, and then I want to throw some other verses out today. Last week, if you were with us, we took and we looked at Saul and that transformation that took him from Saul to Paul, and then some of the words that the Holy Spirit had him write, things like, daily I crucify this flesh. Apostle Paul's saying that. I have to take this flesh every day and I have to crucify it. I have to bring it before the Lord every single day. But we started out with even thinking about Jesus, that everywhere Jesus went, lives were changed. That was part of his, everywhere he went, people were changed. If they weren't changed, it's because they turned around and they went the other way. But he didn't really set out many of the times to try to, in fact, many times people initiated contact with them, but in connecting with him, their lives were changed. So my topic today, I want to look at, we're going to see one of the words in the verses, living sacrifice that the Apostle Paul mentioned. So let's jump into this. In fact, I want to read this in the New King James, in the New Century Version, and then the message. Each of them says the same thing, but kind of coming at a different angle. So New King James says this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I highlighted this part in my uh, scripture. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know the word beseech? We don't use that today, do we? I beseech you, children. Uh, But it's a word that would be urging you. Really, he would say, I urge you, my brothers. I like that one part. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. New Century Version says it this way. So brothers and sisters... Since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to Him, which is the spiritual way for which you worship. Let me read that again. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to Him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. Here's what I uh, made bold in my verse here. Do not be shaped by this world, but instead be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you, and you will know what is a good and pleasing to Him and what is perfect. Don't be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed. Notice it starts where? Within, by a new way of thinking. And then lastly, the message translation that we read last week. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, it's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Isn't that a great way to look at it? The culture is immature, right? Mindless. We'll look at a verse. He says, but God does what? He brings the best out of you. He develops a well-formed maturity in you. So Lord, my prayer today as we read these verses that we would offer you our life as a living sacrifice. That we would listen to your words, not be shaped or twisted by a culture, but we are people that are being renewed and changed from within day by day, renewing the way we think. And the reason and the way that we're changed is by your word. So we bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In 1998, we moved. We were living in... Where were we living in 98? Montebello. Boy. 1998, Montebello. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? And we moved to Concord, North Carolina. Now, we, this trip, we ended up flying um, and had all of our stuff meet us there in the back of a trailer that we would have to unload. I remember that morning because we were staying at uh, somebody in the church's house, and I remember getting up. Now, remember, they're three hours ahead, so I think I was a little behind, like, you know, getting up early, and it was already light out. I mean, it was a light, bright day. I threw on my shorts, and I threw on a light jacket, and I went running outside. Whoo, man, it's cold. I went back inside. It's 28 degrees. I thought, wait a minute here. The sun's out. I'm, you know, it's freezing. You know, if you went on a map and you looked from Montebello, you know, and when we ended up driving back and driving back in, you took Interstate 40 and you draw a straight line, you run right into it. It's almost about the same. But boy, the weather was different. It was freezing. It is true what they say is your blood does thicken. But in a whole new area, we had to observe there's a whole new way that you had to live. In fact, one of them was weather. You had to get used to the different types of weather. We're spoiled here. We pretty much don't need to look at the weather unless it's going to rain. We kind of know it's always going to be the same. Driving around was totally different. We're so aggressive when we drive. Everybody, as we've found, they just kind of drive around real cautious and slow. And you kind of find that California driver in you coming out because you're wanting to honk. People, when we first went back there, they didn't honk their horn. That's rude. Why would you do that to people? We found out, we didn't know much about March Madness, right? We know a little bit about, you know, basketball, but March Madness, you know why they call it March Madness? Because everybody takes off work. They call in sick, they go to the sports bars or the different grills, and they're into it for that whole time. They, they've got all their tournaments. I mean, it's like crazy. And then you run the NASCAR people. They're even crazier. 
right? Camping out, and I mean, they, you, you got to make sure that you're going for the right driver. They're going to fight you after. Whole different way like, of living, and you think, it's a straight line from California to North Carolina. But all of those different things have changed. Some you adapt to just so you don't get run off the road, but you still stay who you are. It doesn't matter where you live, you're to follow Jesus and not be shaped by your culture. We're to follow what the Apostle Paul tells us to do, where we see in these scriptures not to conform, not to be shaped, not to be controlled, but allow God's word to change you from within. You know, I like David's words in Psalm 8, 3, and 4, and he says this, you know, and I picture a starry night. You know, for us, you got to get away to the mountains. Our stars are, you kind of count one, two, or, oh, no, wait, that's a helicopter moving. Yeah, that's a count. You know how it is, you get away in the mountains or the desert, and you just see the stars. And I get a picture, that's where David got this part of the inspiration to write these words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? David sees all of the things that you see when you go out to the mountains and the deserts and he looks at it and he thinks, God, you created all of these things and you're mindful of me? You think of me? I'm worth that much to you that you have thoughts for me? You are, in fact, um, many of you need it. You're unique, aren't you? Look at your neighbor and say, you are unique. <laughs> I love when the Bible calls and tells each of us that we're God's masterpiece. Well, that feels good today, doesn't it? Tell your other neighbor, boy, you're a pe oh, no, masterpiece. All right, make sure you get that right. You're a masterpiece. I love when I read that. And here's the best part. God is mindful of me. Mindful of me. Psalm 139, 13 through 18. Here we have David writing these parts. And this is so powerful. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, yet being uninformed, and in your book all were written. The days fashioned for me when as of yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am with you. David says these words. He says, when my frame was hidden, when I was made in secret, before the mom or dad even knew that you were there. You know what? God knew. Don't we see today in our society why there's such an attack on the un unborn? 
that God saw and created it exactly this way ever before a child, uh, right, right at conception. God already knows. In fact, the next verse in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think of this. Before you and I were conceived, God already knew us. According to David, there's been something written in a book already about us. God already had thoughts about us before we were yet conceived. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. And for Jeremiah, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And when I read that, I think of, of this for every single one of us. God saw an incredible, unique gift in every single one of you. A uniqueness, a calling. So unique that even our fingerprints are all different. Right? Every one of us is different. God made it that way. He had thoughts of us before we were conceived. There's something evidently written down in a book. And David grabbed a hold of that, that even when my frame was hidden, you knew me. Even when my parts were, were growing, you already knew. You were keeping an eye on everything. So when we pick up the Apostle Paul's words with those thoughts in mind, he says, present yourself a living sacrifice to God. Notice that a sacrifice is not halfway. You don't go to eat barbecue and the pig's still oinking away, do you? No, no, no. You want that thing cooked and smoked. You don't want the pig still wiggling. Yeah, we'll just start at the backside. Hopefully the guy will you know, die. No, no, no. Sacrifice isn't halfway. It's all in. God doesn't want just one little part of our life. He wants it all. All. He doesn't want 90 minutes of my week. Right? He wants all seven days. He's the God that when I wake up, He's there. He's the God when I put my head down on the pillow, He's already there. He's the God that when I sleep through the night, He's awake. He's mindful of everything. He wants every part. We're unique. You know, I can't imagine that at getting married... And we, what if we change the vows? I will be married to you Monday through Friday, but on the weekends, watch out. <laughs> what wife is going to say, oh, that sounds great to me? No, w w what do you say, right? Until death do us part. We are together. There's no weekends off. Well, can I take off Wednesdays? No, there's no, no time off. God is so much the so that we present this body as a living sacrifice to Him, our uniqueness. Then he goes on and he talks about the ways that we think. Isn't it interesting? We're not transformed by fasting, by prayer all night long. We're, not trans we're transformed by changing the way that we think. And the way that we think is not by the um, culture around us. The way that we think is by God's Word. Do you know minimally throughout a day you'll have 20,000 thoughts? That almost seems hard to imagine. 
that you'd have that many thoughts. That's minimal. Some uh, psychologists say some people have 70,000 thoughts in a day. Well, as we'll read on in the scripture, we're to capture those things. You know, our mind is powerful. It does think through things. If you're one to change your engine oil by yourself, as many mechanics would know, you always change the filter. You don't just change the oil and not do the filter. You always change the filter. You change your engine filter. As many of us learned, some of our cars have cabin filters. Our homes have air filters, if you have air conditioning. If you have a window unit, you have filters. Filters capture the junk, doesn't it? It captures the things that sometimes you don't see. But if you don't change the filter, what happens? Things begin to clog up. Things begin to break down. If you have a car and the cabin one has not been changed, it starts to smell in your cabin because filters are important. But this mind sometimes becomes a filter. But it has to be washed and cleaned. I have to change the way I think. You know, I can be in a mall. I can be walking in a mall, and if I hear a certain song from Journey, <laughs> I'm transported back to eighth grade dance with Cosette, and I'm wearing a camel jacket, and I have on a turtleneck like some dork. All of that from hearing a song. I go, anybody do that? Same thing. You can remember, it's even scary that I remember what I was wearing. I can go all the way back and remember exactly where I was at that moment by that one song because somehow, someway, the mind and the emotions captured all of that. That should be a hint to us that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. A scripture should remind us of the change that God has done let alone in a song. I love this verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, out of the, um, the CEV version. It says, let the Spirit change the way of thinking. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Remember, not the world, not allowing culture, not allowing media to shape. God's Word is what changes our thinking and I am the one and only one responsible for this mind, this heart. As much as family members or people that might love me might want to change me, I have to decide to make the change. I have to decide to make it from within. Then I have to decide that it's going to change the way I think. But I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to change the way I think. And the Spirit will not speak anything that's opposite of what God has to say. I'm not to be shaped or molded by the world. I'm to be shaped by God's ways. And I thought about this, you know, the strategy of Satan, of the devil himself, is to constantly speak lies to us to where we believe it. That's what he did with Adam and Eve twisting what God said, lying about it. It's one thing if somebody lied to you. How many of you have had somebody lie to you before? All right. And it's one thing if they come back and apologize and say they're sorry, but somebody that just continues to lie and lie and lie and lie, you don't believe them anymore. 
But why would we listen to what the enemy would try to whisper and do and say, knowing that he's the father of lies? That's where they originated. That's his strategy. In fact, Apostle Paul later writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says this, whose mind, notice the tax on the mind, the mind, the God, whose minds, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should what? Shine on them. His job is to blind the minds. So beginning in Genesis, we can even read that there's two ways of thinking. There's the way God intended it, and then there's the way the devil tries to twist it. Adam and Eve stopped thinking like God thought, and what they did was they acted like the devil told them to act. All of creation there in Genesis chapter 3 stopped. All of the wrong thoughts and the perversion and everything of this day all started to steamroll in Genesis chapter 3 because they listened to the lies. I was reading this. I thought this story was really funny. A hunter raised... Now, no animals get shot. Just want to make sure nobody sends me an email. How dare you read about an animal? All right. All animals. What's the little catchphrase they say? None of the animals... This animal's CGI. How's that? All right. A hunter raised his rifle, and he took careful aim at a large bear. When he was about to take the shot, the bear spoke in a soft, soothing voice. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What do you want? Let's negotiate the matter. Lowering his rifle, the hunter replied, well, I want a fur coat. Good said the bear. That's a negotiable question. I only want a full stomach. So let us negotiate a compromise. They sat down to negotiate, and after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had a fur coat. <laughs> If it was ever in the Bible, and it's not, I think we would read somewhere where Satan would say, let us negotiate. Let us negotiate this. And in this story, negotiation only worked out for one. Don't be conformed, shaped, or sucked in to this world. In fact, one of the things the Apostle Paul later in the same uh, book, 2 Corinthians 10.5 he says this to us, casting down arguments and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. There's our filter there. Is it exalting itself against the knowledge and the words of God? That's where we know that's what culture does. That's what wants to conform us. We go on and we read that verse. So I'm to bring these thoughts, I'm to capture them to the obedience of Christ. 
is this a thought that just came into my mind from the Lord? Or is this one of those 20 to 70,000 that just kind of popped in? I have to capture that. I have to be mindful of the things that can come in my own mind. Because the goal, what we saw with the Apostle Paul, the, I shouldn't call it a goal, the heart of God is a life transformed. You know, that word transformed, he says you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in fact, it's a Greek word, metamorpho, where we would say metamorphosis. It's not just a little bit of a change. It really describes first a change within. In fact, it would be a picture of somebody that the reason the outward changes is because of what happened first on the inside. You know, it's easy to do a fake smile, isn't it? And walk, walk away and it change. It's, it's easy to do that. No, this is talking about, no, there's a change that happened within the heart that transform you to where you even look a little different. But here's the thing, it's a continuous process. I wish it was one and done. It's where the Apostle Paul, we read last week, he says, I crucify this flesh Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. No, 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 daily. It's a daily thing, a daily renewing. Knowing that I'm doing this because it's a complete makeover for the better. You know what? There's, I don't even know how many there are. There are so many of these shows on about renovating homes. I, I mean, there's got to be, I don't know how many of them. And a lot of them, it takes time, doesn't it, to get that house done? But at the end, typically, it doesn't look like what it looked like when they started because there was a complete renovation. That's what's happening with us as we're being transformed on the inside, the way that we think, the things that we capture watching anything that happens in culture and filtering with what the knowledge of God is making a complete change. I still remember another flashback, and I, I do repeat this often. I'm a junior in high school. We're playing a home football game at Doherty High School. And apparently we were cussing a lot, and we were at a Christian school. We were cursing the other team. My coach threw me up against the fence, Doherty High School at halftime, and told me that I didn't even know how to cuss. He was, I'm like, how do, what do you mean not know how to cuss? You don't even sound, there's no conviction in it. I mean, if you're going to curse or cuss, learn how to do it or don't do it. That's what he said, right? Wow. Usually at halftime, it's the pep talk, right, to do better. And this time it happened to be cursing. And I refer to this all the time. From that day, right? I have never struggled with cursing. He scared whatever out of me or changed what it slapped me, you know, into the fence. And I thought about it. He wasn't even my position coach. He just probably, I remember telling him this story again before he passed away several years ago. I said, now I know it was Jesus, so I don't want to give you the whole, you know, but I said, you stopped me from cussing. And evidently I must have cussed a lot. And it, it, really bad representation if you're at a Christian school to cuss at the other player. They probably deserved it. No, they don't ever deserve it. I use it all the time. Even watching, a, I, I have a hard time even watching a movie and they throw something out. To me, it's like one of those daggers. But maybe for me, that was the opportune time. that God was able to take somebody 
right? Shake me up a little bit so it wouldn't be something that I struggled with later, later on. You know, my mom would take care of it in the household with a bar of Irish Spring soap if anything ever came out of your mouth. But when you move out of the house, but that took care of me. There was a change. It happened within. It affected this, and it affected this. All of us have something like that. But it's when we allow ourselves to be transformed and we change the way that we think and we filter everything, not by media standard or what's current in society, but by the knowledge of God. I want to end with this verse, Hebrews 12, 2, out of the message. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Now here's the last part. Study how he did it. Was he almost trapped by the devil? Absolutely. Did he have people against him? Absolutely. People not believed him. One of his closest disciples sold him out. Study how he did it. Right? Follow. Follow how he interacted with people. If we mess up, go back to the scripture and say, what did, what did Jesus do in a situation like this? I bet you you can find the exact thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus who, who both began and finished this race we're in. One mistake, he couldn't have been the spotless lamb. He couldn't have been the sacrifice. One slip up. Study how he did it. Father, we come today as we bow our heads before you. Boy, and we take this, as we even did last week, we take this life and all of the things that we all do differently in our day and our week, and as we place it before you as an offering, this life that's a living sacrifice, this life that you call precious, this life that you saw and knew before we were conceived. You fashioned our days. You made us unique with our fingerprints. You called us your masterpiece. And you've given us your word to work on our hearts from within and our mind to reflect you. Lord, my prayer today for us that we as people and as your church keep an eye on Jesus. We study how he did it. You know, we get so uh, captured today by biographies and autobiographies of people that were successful or people that did things in the field that we're in. But Lord, let us come this year to study Jesus. How he did it. We're never alone because you're always with us. I thank you, Lord, that we're people that when those thoughts come in, we grab it captive. We cast it down. We come back to your word. We bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand with me as we close today.